Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits this week. Today, I have another very special guest, uh, also a repeat offender on the show, Dr. Cam McDonald, who is the CEO of PH360 PH in Australia. He is an exercise physiologist as well as a nutritionist. This guy's a bit of an overachiever, uh, as are many of my guests, I might add. Uh, and Dr. Cam has spent the last decade furthering his knowledge and skills as, so as to promote health in a way that makes it easy and obvious for his clients. So Dr. Cam blends his background as a dietitian and exercise physiologist with his long-standing personal interest in health and his passion for understanding the latest research in genetics and environmental influence on health. Now, Dr. Cam is one of my teachers, and he is a, a mind full of information on the way your genes, uh, your genes, and, and how your genes are expressing. So today, we're going to be talking about all about genes again, uh, personalized health, how you can tailor things to your. Uh, personal situation in your personal life. Um, before we go over to the show, just want to remind you, if you want to check out our epigenetics program, please go to lisatarmity.com, hit the uh, work with us button, and there you'll see all of our programs. And one of those is our epigenetics health optimization program, which is all based on your genetics. And so you can understand and learn how to optimize your potential, your health, your performance, your diet, your your, your exercise regime, uh, and so much more. So check that out, uh, especially after listening to this podcast, you're going to want to check that out. So make sure you go to lisatarmati.com, hit the work with us button and check out our epigenetics program. I'd also like you to check out our running program. If you are a runner out there and you haven't got a coach and you don't know where to go and you haven't got a structure, maybe you're doing your first 5Ks, maybe you're just starting out, maybe you're doing your hundreds, 100 miler, I don't care, we take them all. We do customized, personalized, plans based on your needs, your lifestyle, your injuries, your goals, uh, and make that specifically for you. We also do a full video analysis to help you improve your form, and you get a one-on-one consult with me, and then ongoing support uh, with the team. So please check that out. Check out the package, uh, runninghotcoaching.com runninghotcoaching.com is the place to go to there uh, and check out our running program. Uh, Right, now over to the show with Dr. Cam McDonald for a very exciting interview. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. I'm super excited to have you here with me again. Today, I have another superstar, Dr. Cam McDonald, all the way from Australia, and he is uh, one of our mentors and teachers. He is the CEO of ph360.me. So uh, people are listening out there, you've probably heard uh, one or two episodes where we've talked about genetics and epigenetics and how to understand your genes. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And Dr. Cam is an absolute uh, expert on this. Um, So welcome to the show, Dr. Cam. Great to have you again. (laughs) Yeah, it's great to be here. It's been a long time between uh, between chats, but there's been an awful lot of interaction between it. It's always been great. Yeah, so you're our repeat offender on the show, but I think it was a a good couple of years ago now. So, I mean, meanwhile, we've dived deep into the 
the world of epigenetics with you and learned from you and learned a ton of stuff. So about, you know, way overdue that we had this conversation and started to share a little bit of your knowledge and the, the amazing things that we can now do with genetics and understanding how we run. So everything in regards to uh, epigenetics and genetics is all about personalizing everything to your specific set of genes. And this has really been a game changer for us personally and professionally uh, for our athletes, for people that we're working with and the corporate setting and everything, um, because everything should be personalized now, shouldn't it? Should we start there? I think that's a good place. Why Why is personalization key? Yeah, I just, I mean, there's a, there's a number of reasons why we definitely should be personalizing. Um, but the first is that we actually have the knowledge now that that's, that's one thing. Um, we, we have an understanding of how we can actually do this, I guess, for, for our long history. And I guess for you know, the history of the people that are alive, the people listening to this right now, we always know innately, well, I'm different to that person. Yeah. But then when we go to recommendations and when we go to how we go about our life, whether it be the job that we're sitting in, it's like, you have to do this job in this way. Oh, you can't do that? Great. We'll get someone else to do this job this way. Like, you must do this job this way. You must go, oh, are you going to get fit? Great. You go to this gym and you do this boot camp. Everyone goes to this boot camp because that's what is going to be great for everyone because the latest science says this. And when it comes to food, it's like, you should definitely do this because this is what the average of everyone should do. And so... Yeah, we know that everyone's different, but then when we go to actually doing the thing, we apply the average or we apply what we think is appropriate, thinking that everybody else is the same. It's so we have this disconnect between knowledge and action. And so, why we need to, well, I guess the what we know now is that the timing of your food, the timing of your exercise, the type of exercise or foods that you're consuming, the type of work that you're doing, uh, the types of interactions that you're having. If you don't get that right, it creates disease. If you align your body with uh, its environment, Mm -hmm. then your body goes into a healing and recovery state and you get healthier. But if you misalign, and that can just be getting up at the wrong time, and we see this with shift workers all the time, the longer that they do shift work, the more likely they are to die prematurely. Uh, And this is when you get a misalignment with the body and the environment. But the, the really incredible thing is now it's not just that we all should avoid shift work. It's rather that some people are going to be better suited to it than others. And when it comes to every other domain of life, there's going to be something that is great for one person. Like, you know, a big Gatorade is going to be the best thing ever for a runner during their race. <laughs> for example, maybe not the best thing ever, like, and I'm not attached <laughs> to Gatorade as a brand. Yeah, no. But let's say that you have some sort of electrolyte fluid as a, as a, a drink. Um, that's going to be fantastic for a marathon runner, you know, 30Ks in. Versus a person who's been sitting on the couch for the last six years and has a significant waist circumference and diabetes, that Disaster. drink is diabolical. And yeah. so is it the, you know, when we start thinking about personalization, we start thinking about, well, what's going to help this person align and perform? Because if you misalign, it creates disease. Yep. So that's another motivation. And then I guess as I started, we now have the understanding of how people are different, what people need to do about it. and with got some really wonderful results on if we apply that to these individuals they're going to get a great result for themselves you know this is it's now the time that we can act on 
this innate knowledge that we've always had, uh, but do it in a very intelligent way. Yeah, and do it in a very structured way. Because, I mean, this is like a, a great example of this is that the whole fitness industry was really run by people with a certain type of genetic combinations. And so we trained, and I belonged in that group, and you belong in that that particular group. We train people like we like to train, and they're how we see benefits. Like we see benefits from the way that we train, you know, high intensity workouts, and um, you know, getting up early and training. Well, that suits you and me, hey, Doctor Cam, because we're very yep. close on Love the it. on the on the epigenetics. Um, uh, wheel, if you like, uh, have similar genetic makeup. So that works for us, whereas it doesn't work for someone on the other side. So who's more the, of the endomorph type of body. So I, you know, I've used this example before, but my husband, I used to make him get up at five or six in the morning and do a CrossFit workout when he's a what they call a diplomat in our in our terms, which means he has a different set of genetics, basically, that is not suited to getting up at that time and doing that type of workout. Both are wrong right. for him. From a from a chronobiological um, uh, perspective, he was should be in bed because his testosterone, his hormones are doing their thing at that time of the morning. So that was a, a problem. Number two, I had him doing a type of exercise that was wrong for his body type. His ATP doesn't replace as quickly in, in his cells, so doing back-to-back uh, sets just sends him up on a, uh, on a stress reaction. So his cortisol would be up, and then it would be up for the rest of the day. And what have I done to my poor husband? I've made him actually put on weight and not get fitter and feel like crap all day. So <laughs> whereas for me, that same class, that same set of exercises at that same time of the day, perfect, and I'm good to go, and I'm really rearing to go. So that just gives you a little bit of an example. So today, well, let's let's look at chronobiology for because this is all about the timings of when to do what. Um, so, can you explain what the science of chronobiology is, Dr. Cam, and um, how it applies in this situation? Yeah, absolutely. So, chronobiology is our how our biology interacts with time. And we know about this because we all get older. That's a chronobiological <laughs> effect is that we get older. Um, but what's really interesting as well is that uh, within, because of the sun and it's showing its face every, every day or so, uh, you know, it comes along at about 6am and then leaves at about 6pm, whatever it might be. Yep. Because we've been living on this planet with this, uh, this big stimulant from the sky, essentially, yep. uh, our bodies have got adapted to things happening in a rhythm and so um you know it's just like we wake up and then we go to bed we wake up and we get that's a daily rhythm we have a menstrual cycle that you know it, it's uh we have ovulation we go through the the menstrual period and that happens on a 30-day cycle mm-hmm. we then have um you know our early life we have our middle age and we have our later life there's a, another cycle but even a yearly cycle as well we have the circ annular cycle wow and so we have seasons. So winter, it gets colder and our body does different things. And so essentially, um, just now that we understand that we've got these different patterns of time that are occurring, our body is constantly responding to cues from the outside. And so where this work first came about was um, they started looking at shift workers and started wondering why all of these people were getting so much more cardiovascular disease, diabetes. And they found that if 
Um, if you're waking up at night and you're getting lots of light and you're getting food at night as well, all of those things tell your body, hey, you should be awake. And so uh, it wakes the body up. But the, you've got this momentum of a cycle that's coming from generations of uh, being exposed to the sun and sleeping at night and all of our physiological systems are actually setting up for us to sleep at night and rest and recover and do a whole lot of things that definitely don't require doing heavy work or digesting food as much. Mm. And so we get this disruption. Uh, we get things happening and, and things being signaled to the body that shouldn't be signaled at that time, which creates uh, irregularity in the hormones that flow through our body, our cortisol, our melatonin, our testosterone levels, uh, our adrenal levels. All of those things get shifted out of whack um, when we give ourselves an artificial time input. So we want to uh, essentially the first and foremost, the first thing that we we gauge what time it is is what the what the light, what amount of light we have. How much light? To. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we get when the sun comes up in the morning, it sets off this cascade of wakefulness. It takes us from dead asleep to awake in a very short period of time. There's a big hormonal shift that occurs to make that happen and it maps into sunlight and so we then um as we as we go through the day we have this homeostatic drive of the longer that i'm awake the more i want to go to sleep that's a, a natural thing that we have the more that you run the more that you want to stop is another <laughs> way of thinking about this well um so we have this as the day goes on you get more tired um we then also have uh these uh, rhythmical changes, essentially it's the not the homeostatic drive for tiredness but the circadian drive of tiredness and you'll have peaks in your day where maybe in the afternoon you're firing. Other yeah. people are really, really tired that yeah. then wake back up at night. Some people are really energised in the morning. Um, we have all of these different things that are happening throughout the day as well. So to simplify all of this, our body is designed to uh, rouse with early morning light or rouse with light uh, we then are meant to essentially our body is searching for the rhythm that suits our body. Mm -hmm. um, and what's really interesting, if you take light away from somebody, and I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I will bring this all together. So if you take, take light away from somebody, a great guy did an experiment on this way back in the day. He sat mm -hmm. in a cave for uh, a couple of months Whoa. and with no changes in light at all, just exactly the same ambient light the whole time. Shoot. And what happened was his rhythm went to 24 and a half hours uh, for a daily period. So what happens is if we were to not have any sunlight input, we would run on a 24 and a half hour cycle. So, wow. and that would then put it, and he was out of sync by a few days after, after a couple, after of, a months. couple of months. He actually, and he thought it was only a month that passed. It was two months that passed because time really, I know he thought it was three months that passed. It was only a couple of months because time really slowed down. Um, and so what we know is that inside our body, we have a rhythm, Yep. but that, that gets reset every day with the sunlight. And so, and it actually keeps us on track with the hormones that are then flowing as a result of that sunlight. So sunlight is one time giver. And if we disrupt that, it creates lots of disease and that shift work. Not only does your waist circumference get bigger, the more shift work you do, all of the risks, cancer, diabetes, heart disease increases the longer wow. you do shift work. Wow. And what we see is if you disrupt a body for three days with bright light at night, they start looking like they get diabetes. Their insulin resistance changes. Instantly. Their, 
Uh, yeah, within a few days, you can start disrupting these cycles of hormones, which makes your body say, well, there's something wrong with this environment. Why am I awake at a time where I shouldn't be? Well, there must be something wrong. Therefore, yeah. I'm going to start conserving. I'm going to start going into a stressed state wow. so that I can escape and protect myself. And diabetes is just the ultimate protection, starvation protection. It makes you gain weight very easily. And so after a few days, four days, you can actually start seeing some changes in metabolism if wow. you're out of sync with your sleep alone. Then four days to correct it. So you can actually get it back on track very quickly. Now, light isn't the only time giver. Um, there is also um, heat that you have in your body. Uh, food is also a time giver. Uh, exercise is also a time giver. And so if you eat regularly at the same time each day, your body will start falling into a rhythm of I expect food. And this is what happens when you change your diet. Some people go from six meals a day to two. Let's say they're doing some fasting or something like that. They'll be really, really hungry at the times that they were eating when they're doing six meals a day for about a week. Then what wow. happens is each cell in our body has its own timekeeper as well. Um, <clears throat> wow. One of the master clocks is coming from the sunlight. And then each tissue in our body has its own timekeeper. And so uh, our gut takes about a week to correct itself. And then it starts getting on track with the new routine. And so then it starts setting up for the new routine. Therefore, food, it gives time to the body. It actually gives the schedule. And with, along with that food intake comes insulin release, hormone release, all of those types of things. But then the really important thing we need to consider is if you don't stimulate the body at the right time to get the right hormonal outflow, you start going into disease. And so if you're eating food at the wrong time, you're stimulating these hormones just as if you were not sleeping at the right time. Yeah. If you're exercising at the wrong time, let's say yeah. that some bodies are really, really well adept at uh, tolerating stress in the morning. If you exercise, that's a stress. Yep. Uh, you give your body, okay, stress is coming now. And if you do that regularly, your body's going to say, okay, stress is coming now. And it prepares itself and it deals with it quite well. But then if you take a night owl and you give them that same stress in the morning, it gives them the time of stress in the morning, but their body is not set up for stress at that time of day. And so they start trying to compensate later through weight gain. It's like I spent all of this energy at the time that I didn't want to. Yeah, you know, I wasn't set up for it. So I'm going to have to conserve my energy because something's That's what wrong. what I was doing to the husband. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah. what you see in, in a practical sense, um, I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll just say one more thing as well, that the, the mind is, is also on a clock of its own. Um, essentially, if you're exercising at the wrong time, you set off the wrong kinds of hormones and you can cre actually create complete stasis in your health, as in it doesn't get any better, even though you're working really, really hard or can sometimes take you backwards. And we're seeing wow. this with some diabetes now is really high intensity exercise in the morning in some studies is indicating worsened blood sugar levels at the end of the day because their yep. body goes into survival of, oh, this environment's really stressful. So wow. where that, you position things in your day uh, is crucial. a rhythm. But if that rhythm doesn't align with what your body needs in order to be in its best health, then it creates dis-ease and that dis-ease obviously tracks down pathways of compensation and stress and you end up with a body that has been getting up eating five meals per day has been um uh doing their early morning exercise just like your husband yep. and because they're, they're putting stress out on of it. in the morning they're giving them too much insulin response throughout the day because their body's just not designed to get five hits of it throughout the day some bodies are some bodies aren't yep um after 12 weeks they've gained a kilo and got a bad yep. knee 
and they're wondering yeah. what the hell is going on. <laughs> and they've been this super disciplined person getting up. And yeah. I mean, just to give you a couple of examples of this out of my life, because I like mm. to put things into stories so that people yeah, actually get the, the, the science. I mean, I, I, you know, six months ago, went through this terrible uh, time with my dad, who was uh, unfortunately dying and passed away in July. And the, the six day, 16 days that we were in the hospital battling for his life, I was round the clock with him. Now, my blood sugar levels went through the roof. So afterwards, I was, I was showing like diabetic uh, levels of blood sugars, uh, fasting blood sugars, because I was so out of whack and so stressed alongside of it. And it's t- it took me a good two to three months for me to get my body back into rhythm. So that was just 16 days of sleep deprivation, being up all night, um, hardly, hardly any food in this case was actually sh- throwing my, my blood sugars up through the roof and the stress hormones that were coming out. So that's a really extreme example. And obviously, you know, that was for a specific purpose. And I've, and I've seen this also um, with ultra marathons that I've done that I've been going for days on end. You would think um, that a person who was exercising, you know, 24-7 around the clock sort of thing for, for well, not seven, but say two, three days, that they would lose massive amounts of weight and so on. And I would actually put on weight when I did ultramarathon. So I'd typically lose it initially and then I would have all this water gain and then I would have this response and within a month I would be usually heavier than when I started, which was really frustrating. Yeah. Um, so this stuff matters and this stuff is really, really important. And I, I've done podcast episodes already on, on uh, circadian rhythms in regards to light and why we need to you know, block out blue light mm-hmm. at night time because, again, it's giving us the signal to stay awake and stopping our melatonin production. Yep. Um, and, you know, the example there with the cortisol, like we want cortisol, we want these stress hormones at the right times of the day. So there is also a, a genetic component to this, and this is where what we do at PH360 and what we in, our, in the program that we uh, run is looking at your specific genes in relation to circadian rhythms. Can you explain a little bit like, so why is it for my husband that if he gets up at 5am and does that, that's not good for him, whereas for my body type, that's not so bad? Yeah, sure. So when we're talking about this, it's um, there is a genetic component. And I guess what we're going to be talking about today and what we've kind of alluded to is that there's also an epigenetic component. And so when we talk about chronotypes and whether someone's an early bird, a night owl, or an intermediate type, or somewhere in between, because there's a full continuum of where people are, uh, this is based on not just their want to wake up, not just their, oh, I can wake up, I'd prefer to sleep in, or I'd prefer to wake up early. It's not necessarily that. It's actually as to when a body can tolerate stress and how that stress should be, should be placed on them. And in, in, in our body at all times, there is a system of stress and then recovery. And it's that balance that we're trying to fluctuate through with our rhythms throughout the day. That's actually what the rhythms um, protect is that stress to recovery balance. So Mm -hmm. uh, wake and then sleep and then eat and then uh, rest or like move, eat, you know, rest, all of those types of things. So we have individuals that as they're developing in the womb, they get a... uh, a heightened sensitivity to testosterone. They have a greater development of their adrenal system and their response to adrenaline. Um, And that's due to embryological epigenetic factors. And to make that simple is that there's uh, different tissues that are developing in the womb, obviously, that make up our body. 
depending on the genes that you have and in the environment in the womb, you will uh, give more dominance to certain tissues. And this particular person, we're gonna, we're, they're called the activator in our PH360 mm-hmm. circle. The activators, have they develop the tissues more dominantly that are related to the muscle, the skeleton, the testosterone, the reproductive glands, adrenal glands, kidneys. And so as they develop throughout their life, these hormones and these tissues have more dominance than the other tissues. Uh, yeah. And so, and I'll give another example just to give a comparison in a second. So if you've got a body that's more sensitive to testosterone, also has a slightly stronger adrenal system. Yep. yep. And Lisa's a perfect example of that. And I'm not mm-hmm. too far from that. Yep. Um, essentially what this body uh, does really well is that it responds to that adrenal system very powerfully. And first thing in the morning is when your adrenal system is the strongest. This is when you get the biggest glucocorticoid release. That's your cortisols and your adrenalines. And essentially it's to say, hey, you were dead asleep and now you need to be awake. awake. And because they've got tissues that are also ready for that, um, they then take that energy. And if they use that their adrenal system at that time, it matches their strength. This is what they've grown to be strong in. And so it matches their strength to be really great at this. And so when they use it, it aligns with what their body is looking for. And then they ride that energy all the way through to the end of the day. Um, And this is because we've put the the right body into the right environment environment. at the right time. However, a diplomat, which is the opposite side of the circle, and what we see with embryological development is on a, on a circle, opposite sides, you'll see opposite effects. And so instead of it being the adrenal system and the, um, the testosterone system that's you know, really sensitive within the body, for the other body, we actually see their digestive system and their, their neural system being more, more developed and more sensitive. And so what's happening in digestion in the morning is that it's um, essentially, it's regulating where all the fluid is going to go in the body. Mm-hmm. It's uh, finishing off these really important digestive processes, clearing out the digestion, uh, making sure that the gut is rested and ready for new meals. And it's doing that right up until you know seven a.m. Wow. And so this body is is having to focus all of its energy on its digestive system because that's the really important system for this body. And if you then stress this body, uh, what happens is it goes, well, I was trying to put water into the right place. I was trying to get my digestion on track um, and You've I'm running all of a sudden. Yeah. Like this does not match at all. Like I don't need adrenaline right now. This is bad news. Wow. And so what happens is that the body then goes into compensation. It says, oh, God, well, I'm going to have to make up for this later. I've spent all of this fluid. I've sweat. I've used all of this energy. And so this body goes, well, I didn't get time to put my fluid away, so where is it? Okay, I'm going to retain fluid now because, and this is exactly what happens. On if you have enough cortisol at the wrong time, yeah. then you start retaining fluid, and this is exactly what's happening. They get the adrenal burst in the morning, but if they then ride with that with some morning exercise, it becomes too much for their system. They can't then do those digestive processes. Their gut goes off, which influences their serotonin production, which makes them less happy. Wow. But what's really interesting with this kind of crowd is that the things that we'll see is an individual wakes up, like that story I said before, will get up and they'll do their exercise. And what they'll notice is they start getting this, this bit of weight around, around the, middle, the middle and they'll also start accumulating fluid. They'll get a halo effect from exercise of two to three hours because their stress levels actually stay a lot higher for a lot longer. 
because they're not shouldn't be stressed at that time. So they get this, um, and stress hormones make you feel alive and they make you feel awake. And so for the first three hours of the day, you're going, yeah, I'm an early bird. This is awesome. And then come <laughs> lunch, it crashes really, really hard. Wow. And you also become more diabetic in the afternoon, to, for lack of a better term, inch, more insulin resistant. Insulin so, resistant. Yep. Yeah. And so this individual has been working their guts out, literally, um, and all they've got is more fluid retention, tiredness in the afternoon, weight gain around the middle, which is the thing that they're doing exercise for. And, the, and whereas if, if they just shift that exercise later in the day when their body's ready for movement because this body likes to conserve energy in the morning, make sure everything is sorted in their body, and then they can move and stress and all of that sort of stuff in the afternoon. And if yep. they do that, there's no cortisol rise to the same extent. They have much lower cortisol all day, which means they don't deposit fat around their stomach. Because um, cortisol is a real huge one yeah, for this particular on. body, absolutely. Because it's the opposite of you know the activator. The diplomat is uh, they don't like their cortisol so high. Uh, they like things to be cruisy and peaceful and steady, as opposed to high intensity and challenging. And rah, rah, rah. Getting challenging, <laughs> exactly. And so, whenever you put this this body into this thing at the wrong time, uh, you end up with this adverse effect and you start questioning yourself it's like what the hell could i be doing better you know i'm yeah. waking up i'm getting my food in i'm, I'm doing the things i'm, I'm supposed to do yeah. and then i'm crashing in the afternoon and all of a sudden now they're having three or four coffees which is just another stimulant of cortisol yep. um, and then they worsen the effect and so we see for this person if they just sleep in they actually start losing weight faster than if they exercise and this is so a, counterintuitive so counterintuitive but when you think that whether you put muscle or fat tissue on, it actually, it's not to do with your food or your exercise. It's got to do with the hormones that those foods and exercise stimulate. Yep. It's, you don't grow muscle from protein alone because we'll see people in hospital who are malnourished and we're feeding them lots of protein and they just Nothing's burn it and they lose weight. What we're trying to do is we need to modify the hormones. And if we get the right rhythm to our day, Cortisol is acting, testosterone is acting at the right time, growth hormone is acting at the right time. If we are able to match our day with our hormone release that's relevant to us, then our body is able to, any time that it gets some protein, is able to put it to work rather than burn it off in stress. And wow. so it's, it's fun. And the same thing with exercise. If you do exercise stress at the right time, you stimulate the right growth hormones. But just like in ultra marathon running, and I use this example all of the time, it's just so appropriate right now. If you run for three days, are your muscles bigger by the end of the three days? Hell no. Catabolic. <laughs> exactly. They're broken down. Exercise is a stress and it just yep. stimulates your body to say you need to be stronger here. So this is where um, whenever you're thinking about exercise and food, you've got to be thinking about what hormones am I modulating here and what hormones do I need right now? And that's the information that we can have like just as a, Two very simple examples that we provided before. Yeah, and this is why this information that in the program that we do is so powerful because it gives you that specific information along with a ton of other things um, yeah. about what time to do things and when um, and, and optimizing your whole daily rhythms. But it isn't just about uh, exercise, is it? It is also about the food timings. So let's look at a little bit into the food timings and then also the, the whole neurotransmitter side of things. Like yeah. when am I going to get the best out of my brain, you know, um, all that type of stuff as well. So from a from a uh, food perspective, yeah. um, so uh, you and I, Crusader, I'm a Crusader activator on the cusp there, um, means 
four to six meals a day is ideal for us or regular food. Uh, my yep. mum's a guardian, opposite end of the wheel again, uh, two to three meals yep. a day, ideal. Um, that doesn't mean that you and I can't intermittent fast either, does it, by the way? We can still do that and get the benefits of, you know, autophagy and stuff, but it's a shorter fast from what I That's exactly uh, right. Work. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's the perfect – I was actually going to use those two examples for that, Lisa, spot on. So <laughs> we've got um, – so we've got activators and diplomats, which we've spoken about. We've then got the crusaders and the guardians. So crusaders are essentially, Lisa's a really good example. I'm a good example. Generally slighter, like a soccer player, taller, leaner, slender. Um, and what one of the features of their body is that they're very neurally driven. So as opposed to adrenaline and testosterone, as opposed to digestive, the crusaders are very neurally driven. Everything is about mental focus, mental drive, and creation of hormones that allow you to keep driving forward. And you see these types of people in triathlons and marathons and anything that requires that long-term, high-intensity focus. Mm -hmm. um, now, with this body, um, not prone at all to obesity. Like there's, You have to really, really, really push with bad habits to get this body to, to a level of obesity um, versus the guardian Naturally, these are your strongest, thickest jointed, biggest muscled, and also they have the greatest capacity to store fat. So anyone that you see at powerlifting or in shot put or in uh, those power sports, uh, like they're the world's strongest men, um, you know, Oprah is a good example of a, of a guardian. This is a body that's just more substantial. Yep. And um, so what's really interesting about these two bodies is that and I guess the most relevant one, we can start with the Guardian because it's, it's kind mm. of interesting. And then we'll come back to the Crusader, which is more the, the most appropriate for general healthy guidelines than any other one. Yeah, so, we, we run the show as far yeah, as yeah, we have, we've yeah, told right. everybody how to do it all wrong. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and what's really interesting is just that our bodies, are, because we're unlikely to be obese, um, just with the way our body is made up, that's not good or bad. We die from other things, by the way. We, we may not die yeah. from diabetes, but we might get Exactly. Yeah. So Parkinson's <laughs> or something, um, something not so pleasant like that. So the, um, so essentially when, when we're feeding a guardian, they've got a body that they walk past a bakery and they smell it and they gain weight. You know, yep. it's, it's, they have this ability of just accumulating mass at all times. They have these hormones in their body um, and they're more sensitive to prolactin and they produce more insulin. And these hormones are growth hormones. They make you grow. And so they have an abundance of these things going on. They have a slightly slower thyroid, which means that they are able to conserve weight very easily. And what's really interesting, psychologically, they're being driven to care for people. So they have mm -hmm. the most ability to conserve energy and the most ability to nurture. So you have these big, strong, protective individuals. Yep. Now, what's really interesting with their timing of food they're recommended to have two meals per day, breakfast and lunch, and then a very, very light, if not non-existent um, uh, dinner. Now, the reason that we do that, particularly with guardians who are feeling like they're wanting to, because this, this is the body that's most prone to excess weight gain as well. Yeah. They'll be healthy and obese, but they can also really extend out past that unhealthy obese as well. Yeah. And so this is um, what happens overnight is your prolactin and your growth hormones even insulin release, all of these things are greatest overnight. And the reason for that is when we're sleeping is the best time for our recovery. And so all of these hormones that are associated with growth 
are the response to the day of spending energy. I spend all this energy, I burn, I then have to recover. Now, what's really interesting about the Guardians is that um, they have like a supercharged ability to grow overnight. And both protein and carbohydrates stimulate growth in different ways. And it's modulated through insulin. Insulin is a really great growth factor. Um, It's one of the hormones that are involved. Essentially, if guardians have a really big protein carbohydrate meal at night, they get all of these growth factors at a time that they're about to have their biggest growth Growth of the day. And this is a body that all they do is grow really well. They actually have a different rhythm that's not as catabolic or it doesn't break down as easily. In fact, it's quite anabolic by nature. It grows very easily. When they get stressed, they grow. And so what we want to do is to help this person, rather than top up their blood sugar levels, rather than give them protein to feel full, it's actually these individuals don't get that hungry that often if they're eating the right types of foods. Essentially, what, what we see is if we can remove the proteins, carbohydrates, and even the fats at night and have a very light dinner and on that sort of uh, that time-restricted feeding is the yeah. way that you could think about it, but it's an early window for the day. What we do is we drop those growth hormones uh, and, and the, the growth factors, I should say, we allow the digestive system to do a whole lot more recovery overnight. They'll wake up the next day feeling so much lighter, but we also haven't triggered off their key growth factors, which they already have plenty of anyway. And so all of a sudden now, instead of growing excess overnight, they're able to start just recovering other systems and processes in their body. And particularly when you're um, getting the breakfast and getting the lunch, you're creating stability in their system then you're just taking away their growth stimulus at night and they can start losing weight. And what's really fascinating about this, the studies that have shown this, is if you can take people with diabetes, you give them six meals per day of 1,400 calories or you give them two meals per day of 1,400 calories, breakfast and lunch, and what you see is uh, a one kilo weight loss for the six meals per day and a five kilo weight loss for the two meals per day. massive on the same amount. Say exactly the same macros, exactly the same calories. It's just that we're changing when it's coming into the body. So these people shouldn't be doing a morning intermittent fast. They should be doing a stop at six o'clock eating type well, thing. Even even five even, would be appropriate. Five. But but really, it's about two meals. Um, and and if those two meals can be earlier, that's going to be better. And with, with lunch is a time when we really tolerate foods very well. Our, there's a lot of systems that are really supporting us. That's actually a time when the meal can be most substantial as well. And so like, this is what's really important. If we're thinking about, let's say, reversing diabetes, for example, mm-hmm. if we give someone six meals per day, it almost prevents us from doing that. Wow. Versus so you just we, can't fix it. And, and that's why there are so many issues with so many of the dietary protocols out there because so many of the predicated on three meals and two snacks for this body. Yep. However, for the crusader, for which us. is the opposite function, yep. they are much more likely to lose weight than gain weight. Obviously, in your exception, it's different when you're running ultra marathons, but we're more yep. likely to wither and lose muscle as opposed to the guardian that's more likely to accumulate and gain. And so what food has to do for a crusader is provide energy so that they don't break down because food is important for recovery. And we're more it catabolic to, by nature. Exactly. Food is designed to provide growth to a body that would otherwise be breaking down. And so what we see 
we see the need for regular three meals and two snacks throughout the day. And dinner can actually be relatively substantial because overnight you want this body to take advantage of the recovery uh, because if they don't get enough growth, then their immune system doesn't come on and they start getting sick and they start breaking down. Whereas the, the strength of the immune system in a guardian is, is so much greater because that's the time that they, they really ramp up their growth. So yeah. we have these, uh, this neurally driven body that it's, we're not trying to protect it from diabetes and insulin problems because they don't often have them, particularly insulin resistance, and they have a faster thyroid function, so their metabolism is burning hotter. They have all of this mental energy that is burning as well, and that requires more carbohydrates. So essentially, we provide regular meals with carbohydrates to this body, and their brain starts operating really, really well. That decreases their stress. And it's the decrease in stress that allows muscle growth, that allows our waste to reduce. And so by having more regular food, we actually end up with better body composition for this person. But if we have more regular food for the guardian, we actually end up with worse. So versus we have. Know. Whereas yeah. if you put two meals per day into the Crusader, now all of a sudden, because they've run out of fuel, because their metabolism turns it over really quickly, they have to dip into their stress hormones to stay energized. So they have to use more cortisol and adrenaline. And what do those hormones do? They break muscle down and they put fat around your waist. And so we have this environment for a crusader, if they're having two meals, they're having to stress and push to stay awake. Now, all of a sudden, or and to stay alert and on, um, and now we're going to have the effects of what those hormones do, which is in that body, they wither muscle and they gain body and they gain fat around their waist. And so, um, wow. So, so they can like have the exact opposite. So, so crusaders can be overweight, but it's usually they hold it in the middle of their body around their waist, which is the most dangerous fat, that visceral yep. fat. Um, and with a guard, so this is why, like, some people when they get stressed lose weight, and some people when they get stressed put on weight. And this was like always like, huh? How does that work? Because I thought cortisol always put on fat, and it does for the the, the crusader as well, but it puts it on around the middle, and that's because the cortisol's gone up, and you haven't had enough food. But okay, what about um? This is just a because I'm off on a tangent again, but autophagy. You know, we yeah. all hear about inhibiting mTOR, which is the one of the growth pathways. Um, and I'm always like, okay, I'm an activated crusader. I'm on the cusp there. Um, so, do I do intermittent fasting or not? Like, if I'm looking for autophagy and wanting to knock off senescent cells and and all of that sort of thing. Uh, how do I do that without, you know, triggering my body to go into a stress situation? Yeah. <clears throat> Great question. And so this is, this is what comes down to then, we spoke about the rhythms at the start of the day, like the daily rhythm, the monthly rhythm, the yearly rhythms. Um, essentially, uh, when we're looking at the rhythms of the different bodies, a crusader has quite a quick turnover rhythm. Mm-hmm. So um, whereas the guardian has a much longer slower turnover rhythm. And so what I mean by that is if, if a crusader does a day or two of intermittent fasting, their metabolism goes, whoa, it like really hits them because they're, they're always on the edge of their fuel supply. And so right. the, the fast hits them a lot faster. But their, their nervous system, which is the thing that's driving stress in their body, that will be impacted quite significantly if they go without food for a period of time. It'll start driving muscle loss and demineralization and to keep the body alert. And so 
for a crusader, it might be the, the one day per week that you do that thing just to give yourself a bit of a top up, for example, or, or to, to give yourself that, 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 that effect of autophagy. Yeah. Whereas for a guardian, they have this ability to accumulate and their rhythms are much slower. They can actually go for extended periods of time in that intermittent fasting. It's actually quite beneficial for them because they are more likely to build up toxins and they're more likely to conserve over time. And um, that state of a semi-fasted life is actually appropriate for them because their body generally, their rhythms are slower and steadier and they aren't affected by by, um, a lack of caloric intake or a lower caloric intake as much. So, so for us to do extended fasts as, as crusader types, um, are we putting ourselves uh, at risk then? Um, and, and, and if so, how do we get rid of, you know, because autophagy, just for those listening who don't know what the hell autophagy is, it's basically recycling where the body goes, oh, there's not enough food supply around, there's not enough nutrients because our body's sensing the nutrients that's available in our blood and this can be low protein or low caloric intake. Um, and then starts to recycle old parts of cells or uh, knock off cells that are damaged and not doing their job properly. And this is a process that we want to have. Um, but, we, you know, as crusaders, we don't want to tip ourselves into the stressed out state where we're actually too catabolic. So, you know, because there's lots of uh, things going around about fasting and, and the, the, the benefits of fasting. And um, again, it is appropriate for one type more than another type or certain periods of time. So how would you optimize it for a crusader um, versus a guardian? Yep. Okay, well, that's, that's a good call. So um, essentially probably the thing to state here is that it's not just food that creates this uh, like a level of stress or rest and recovery. If you were, let's say, for example, that you're up on a, in a, some sort of retreat where they're doing meditations a lot of the day where you're walking in nature where it's just very very gentle surrounds and there's virtually no stress on your nervous system and you're able to completely dial out this is as a crusader um then you're going to be able to tolerate a much lower food intake for a longer period of time because there's less requirement that's being placed on you to have food so but if you're in the middle of a busy week and you start fasting, your brain's mm-hmm. still going, well, I still want to get stuff done. And so <laughs> your brain is going, let's do this. And so in order to do that, you have to create stress hormone responses to keep your brain alight and to break muscle down, turn it into glucose that you can use in your brain for fuel. Well, we so um, it, it definitely depends on the environment that you're in as to how long you could do this. But generally what we say is if a crusader is going to be doing some sort of intermittent fasting or something like that, just doing a day per week and on a day where you can control the amount of stuff that is going on so you're not too neurally stressed is gotcha. a really, really good way of going. Yep. Making sure you're meditating, deep breathing throughout the day, doing some gentle exercise, some stretching, just to really calm your nervous system. You're not having to do really big meetings and really stressful thinking sessions um, because you want to dial down the thing that's taking all of your energy. And for a crusader, it's their brain. Yep. Um, and so if that's being used lots, then the body will commit its reserves to looking after the brain. So you have to turn that off in order to, to do a fast without affecting yourself too much because wow. if it's prolonged, you'll start continually breaking down muscle tissue to fuel your brain, and that's not good. And you release a whole lot of calcium from your bones to provide energy in your mitochondria and your, wow. and your, little, uh, your muscle tissue or like in, within your muscle fibers as well. 
you need calcium to make muscles contract and do yep. their thing. Um, and if you're stressed and not consuming, uh, you'll release more of that out, which is not a good thing either. No, so this is where and osteoporosis. you would essentially know, mm. um, yeah, osteoporosis is a big risk for crusaders. So mm. you would essentially know that if you're doing your semi-fast and you're starting to have to, the feeling, if you're a crusader out there, you're having to push to have your energy. Like when you're using your energy and flow, it should be just this flow of energy that feels good to use um, when you're doing mental tasks and things like that. If you've fasted for too long, it'll now be this push. It's like I have to get myself up to do this work and that your, requires a stress. willpower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you're starting to get less motivated and you're getting to the end of a job and you're just exhausted, I would say you've fasted too long because yep. your body is overextending itself. Gotcha. So, but the thing about crusaders is their bodies are quite sensitive. You'll be able to pick up on those cues a couple of days in just to see what's going on. So, but that's, that's really one. important for people to understand that again, it's not one size fits all. When you when you hear everybody talking about intermittent fasting or doing these things and autophagy and inhibiting mTOR and all those sort of things, um, it's not a one size fits all approach. Once again. It's it's really needs to be and 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 just talking about the guardians too like what we've been saying sounds all negative they they you know tend to hold and I know like my mum complains bitterly when I give her this tiny little meal at night time that's full of veggies <laughs> she doesn't and she doesn't get a big steak like I'm eating um, and it's a pain for her uh, at times however her body like to see the advantages of being a guardian like back in the caveman days. <laughs> She would have survived. I'd have been long gone if, if there was a lack of food supply, you know. She would have carried on and, and survived. Her immune system is incredibly strong. She yeah. uh, she's, is very resilient. Like she was in a wheelchair for 18 months and she still had massively strong muscles. Like it just mm. didn't – she's not catabolic. Uh, in, in that, but she has a struggle with her weight. And now we've we've seemed to have cracked the code on that. And she's because we're doing the the, the meals at the right times most of the time and doing it uh, appropriate for her body. We've had this huge weight loss over a very long period of time. Um, yep. And and that's the way to do it. That's what you want. You want to sort of do that in a controlled manner. Um, and and so there are good. And she's never going to get osteoporosis. You know. Her bones aren't going to break. Mine, yeah. quite likely. Yeah. Less likely to have uh, Alzheimer's, you know, even given mm. her, her particular situation. Um, <clears throat> so those are some of the benefits just for those listening out there who, who, yeah. who resonate with that body type, not to think it's all negative and, and we've got it yeah. all good. We, we have it and all good in some that, things. Like the survival-wise, you know, we would have these individuals who are much stronger than everybody else yeah. who have a focus on looking after everybody else. Yep. They, the reason that their body is built the way it is um, is when we go through famine as a community, their body goes into conservation. Uh, they start growing or they, essentially they start growing or they start slowing down their metabolism so that they can provide food for everybody else. Yep. There's this internal I must provide. And so their body actually assists with that and slows down its metabolism, enables it to gain more uh, or at least stop the weight loss. So, and this is why for this body, you can actually extend the fast because they have this incredible resilience. Um, what's, what's interesting about this body is that when you, any kind of stress, mental stress and things like that, if they experience stress, they'll say, oh, like this is my, my community mustn't be safe. If I'm stressed, I'm the most resilient and I'm the strongest. So everybody else must be almost dying. So I'm yep. going to start slowing my metabolism <laughs> down straight away. And as a result, 
they're going to take advantage of those hormones that help you grow, like the insulin resistance, the lower thyroid function. They're going to take advantage of those to be stronger for the community. And this is a really important piece for any of your uh, Kiwi listeners um, who are like particularly Maori and Maori populations have got, and, you know, uh, Pacific Island generally have got this incredible capacity for protection. They're very family oriented. It's all about protection of the family. And that thing comes from the same thing that makes them big and strong. It also makes them much more tolerant of prolonged fast because their body is designed to be a faster. What's really interesting is their body was meant to accumulate during great times. And then when the fast came along, they just not eat. And as they fast, they get healthier. Like their, their blood sugars start normalizing. Whereas the crusader or the sensor that the leanest of the bodies, when they fast, they start breaking down and heading towards disease because they just lack that ability to grow and, and that ability to accumulate. So the mTOR pathways, which is all about growth, they're actually very protective for crusaders and sensors. And so we don't want to spend too long without them wow. versus a guardian, uh, connectors, some connectors and diplomats, they have probably an excess of growth. And so for them, that pathway is going to be more relevant to modulate or at least you'll be able to um, you know, influence it for longer with less, less with with greater effect. And this is why we see, you know, in, in the Polynesian community, um, more diabetes, more cardiovascular disease, more, uh, and and they also have a tendency to like those particular types of foods even more. Um, so when you see with uh, sensors, is another one that we haven't got into, but that's the real ectomorph body. Uh, and crusaders have a tendency to actually want more vegetables and things that they could actually do with more <laughs> the, the, the cooked, slow cooked meats and things like that. Yeah. Um, but they have a tendency to like those sort of heavier, fattier, more sugar rich foods when that's actually the worst thing for them. And that's why we are seeing, unfortunately, so much diabetes, so many metabolic dis- dis- uh, disorders and so on. Yeah, well, th- those foods provide a lot of safety. They, by having so many calories, it's like, well, if I'm, if I've got enough weight on, my family is now protected. And so there's this biological drive to eat foods that are very caloric so that you can have more mass because more mass equals more protection for my family. But if you just go and lift really, really heavy weights, your body feels heavier. Uh, Your body gets the sense that it's more stable and stronger and that can actually replace it's a really interesting one. Ah, that that, that, that requirement right? to feel, yeah. So the the feeling of groundedness you get from those very heavy weights, and and we also know that Crikey. it actually creates a bit more growth hormone, a bit more recovery overnight. But it, it will direct it with the right nutrients and the right exercise to to muscle growth rather than. Fat so that's again. why the diplomat and the guardian body types, these stronger, heavier body types, are really good at heavy weight lifting. And even though, like, because I have this argument with some of the clients that we have who are, so women who are uh, uh, guardians or diplomats, I don't want to do heavy weights. I don't want to put on more muscle mass. But it, it's, it's, it's a, again, a counterintuitive. So they end up doing lots of cardio-based stuff, yeah. um, which, you know, uh, has its benefits as well. Um, but it, it doesn't have the quickest response as, say, weight, a heavy weight sessions will, will do. Yeah, is that right? That's that's uh, exactly right. Yeah, and it's and it's there's a number of things that need to go on, but uh, essentially this body needs to feel heavy. There needs to be weight in the joints. Like there's a joint receptor reflex that sends signals back up to the brain to say you are heavy enough. Therefore, your family is safe. And I know it's a bit of a wow. a narrative piece, but 
you only need to get someone doing this. You only need to get a health type like a guardian or a diplomat doing this type of training and understand the benefits of it. It's this. Uh, it's a very. It's a, it's a visceral thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It? It, it, visceral yeah. is the perfect word. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking soulful, but visceral is definitely. Visceral, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, it resonates. It for resonates them to feel with strong. their dominant hormones. Yes, um, and then there's yeah, like they've got yeah. these massive muscles that are yeah. not designed to lift little weights, and yep. their biomechanics actually improve when they start lifting a heavier weight because the whole muscle is engaged in the way that it's supposed to. So it, it's fascinating. The, the the form has a function, and it it. The form directs optimal function as well if you look at it appropriately. And if you put a heavy, heavy weight on your eye, we'll like to rip something, a tendon yeah. or a cartilage, or, a, or a we bone. don't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. We're, we're better suited to, to medium sort of weights. So still weight training, but um, not the heavy, heavy stuff. And we can do sort of back-to-back sessions as opposed to or back-to-back sets Whereas with my husband and my brother, when I'm doing training with them, I get to do, you know, do a set, have a rest, do a yeah. set, have a rest, not a CrossFit style back-to-back type of training either. So, and all of these bits of the puzzle, I, you know, like getting this information helps you eliminate all the trial and error about working with your body and so that you get the results that you want and deserve without like, because I, I bet there's hundreds of people sitting out there now going, banging their heads against a brick wall because they've done the wrong thing for the last 20 years. And I was one of them, like doing ultra marathons, super, super long distance for an activator crusader body type. Not a good combination because I, I have more short term strength than I do. Uh, long distance endurance. It doesn't mean I can never do it, but it just means that I don't. I shouldn't be doing back to back ultra marathons, which is what I did, and I end up paying quite a high price with my health. Yeah. Whereas for uh, another person, that might be a perfectly fine thing to do. Probably not mm-hmm. to the extreme of stupidness that I did it because that was just really ridiculous. But um, and so you you start if you if you put your body in the right environment get the right foods eat at the right times of the day work and do your mental stuff uh you'll get you'll get health and you'll yeah. get optimal performance and you'll get longevity uh all as as a byproduct of doing this in the right can we just touch on now dr cam just before we wrap up because i know it's uh, time to wrap up but um the neuro the, the the neurotransmitters for each different body type, and we can just go over this quickly. And I think we probably need to spend an hour just on that one, but uh, maybe we'll do that next time. But um, just as a brief overview, so you said prolactin—that's yep. the caring hormone for the guardians and nurturers. Yep. This is why these people make wonderful mothers and fathers and tribal leaders and mm. um, leaders of of companies, even um, yep. because they that steady look after everybody type. Mm. Um, if we go to the diplomats, what are they? What's their dominant hormone or their hormone of so significance? They're, they're searching for a balance of serotonin. Mm-hmm. Serotonin is a what you get uh, as a reward for things being pleasurable and enjoyable or calm and steady. So let's say that you go for a run. The, the longer you run, the more serotonin you get. It's saying, "Hey, calm down. You've done well. You've achieved." And so, when you finish exercise, the thing that's kind of keeping that calm and that pleasurable cruisiness that you feel after a, a, some sort of exercise about that's serotonin or if you do a job well. And so this body, because they're searching for doing a job well, they'll take more time to consider before they do anything. 
because yeah. they want to make sure they get the job done well so they get their serotonin because if they don't get their serotonin, they get very Sad demotivated. Noise. I didn't understand um, that. So, <laughs> yeah, so they start ruminating and they start thinking about things and when people rush then they go, well, I've got to think about this again because I want to make sure I do it well and so they'll slow down. The best example for this is kids. You've got a kid who's a bit taller, stronger kind of build, just does not do mornings well and uh, you say, hey, let's get out of the house right now. And they're like, oh, and then they go slower. And this is because they're like, oh, well, I need to get my serotonin. I thought I was going fast. I wasn't. <laughs> so I'm going to have to rethink what I was doing. And then they reprocess the whole game again. And then, you know, they get there eventually. So serotonin is about pleasure, but it also um, moderates the speed at which people make decisions and how willing they are to take action. If you've got lots of serotonin, you'll be very optimistic. And so I'm laughing because um, this is my husband yeah. and we have this fight every day. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. right, let's go to the beach and do some skimboarding or surfing or something. And he's like, well, you've just dropped it on me. And yeah. I, I, you know, like, and I'm like, what do you mean? It's just not a very hard thing to run down the beach. And do. <laughs> but for him, he's got to have this done and that done and this ticked off. And, and yep. then you had a plan and you're violating <laughs> and the plan. Like, now oh. you're ruining his ability to get serotonin. This is a violation of his biology. <laughs> That's right. Oh, so, I have to go and apologize. You do, you do, but activators, they, they often won't do. The, um, so, but then the activator, obviously, they're searching for adrenaline. Yeah. And so the perfect example is they want change. They want unknown. They want excitement. They want action. And so instead of thinking about something and really planning it out, it's like, how boring is that? I know exactly what's going to happen. So I need to throw something in that wasn't planned. Otherwise, and this is, you see kids like this in school where they are sitting in the class with a monotone teacher sitting down and all they want is move and excitement and they sit and they start making noise and they say, oh, I missed and they start throwing airplanes around the room because it gives them adrenaline which makes their biology feel great. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden they feel really safe um, because they're doing something that's exciting that is the opposite to the serotonin drive and this is what's really important. And the funny thing is, as the universe would have it, you see a lot of couples that meet activated and they are they are dealing with this their whole life until they realize that it's actually in their strength to work together yeah Um, and then we have um the the crusader which is dopamine so prolactin the guardian is is a selfish selflessness it's i'm going to do things for other people i've got enough so i'm going to do for others dopamine is i'm going to do for me to get the, the outcome that i want and so it's it creates drive focus i've got it's going to provide energy and make you feel great towards the mission so as long as there's a mission there'll be dopamine that's going through the crusader's brain locking into their reward center and saying i must finish this and everything else just goes by the wayside people relationships other jobs all of that sort of stuff because this is the way that we're going this is what i'm being provided reward for so this is the outcome that i want um and so this hormone makes you a little bit selfish, but you can actually, for example, Lisa's doing this podcast to influence thousands of people every month um, for their benefit, but she's doing it for herself. You know, and yep. this is the thing that we like we the person who cures cancer is doing it for the, like let's say it's a crusader, they do it for themselves, but it influences positively many, many people. It's not yep. to say selfish and selfless are good or bad, it's just the way that the biology must interact with the world in order to feel safe. And so we must do things for ourselves as a, as a crusader, but it can positively benefit many, yeah, many people. Yeah, you can pick missions that are yeah. going to benefit the world. I mean, 
the head of PH is, uh, you know, a good example, isn't it? Yeah. So just you, you, you've got a, but you have a huge capacity to go on a mission and achieve incredible things and incredible amounts of things because you're so driven, but you have a tendency to bust yourself in the process and burn out and a lot of oxidative stress if you're on the activator side of of things. Lots of inflammation, yeah, for for the crusaders, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and what they need is they need to turn that off uh, every now and again, just like guardians guardians need to do things for themselves too. They need to be selfish sometimes, and if they don't, they get sick. Uh, Same thing, crusaders need to turn off and get off mission for a second every now and again. And relax. Um, and this is yeah. for, so for our body types, it's really important to do the calming breathe, breath holding exercises and the Pilates and the yoga and the being in nature and doing those things that turn the brain off yep. because otherwise we're just on, 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 and then you tend to wind up and then crash and then wind up and That's then right. crash. But, um, but too yeah. many of those meditative exercises and you start getting anxious that you're not getting enough done. And so it's finding that balance of <laughs> yeah. resting the mind at the best time. And, and chronobiologically, between 6 and 10 p.m. is the time when your brain is going through its best recovery. And so if you use meditation at that time, it has more impact than it would at other times. And this is where chronobiology actually comes into the mind side of things too. Um, and so then we have connectors and sensors. So connectors are the most social um, socially inclined health type. They uh, they have oxytocin, which is driving their 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 response to the environment. So mm-hmm. oxytocin is the trust and connection hormone. Yep. Essentially, what they'll look to do is they'll look to create trust and connection with as many people as possible. And the way that they do that, they actually have a very powerful visual cortex, which means that when they look at somebody, they can determine their emotional state from their face. Wow. Then they have this ability to be a chameleon. They'll then match themselves to the person. And when you match a person's state, you create trust through uh, commonality in, in, wow. in resonance, essentially. And so they have this ability to immediately fall into trust with people, which gives them their oxytocin, which they get from that connection, which then makes them feel good and they can keep going. Um, the, the trouble with this, though, is if you're trying to keep people happy all of the time, which is an important part of this, um, and you're not happy within yourself, uh, it becomes inauthentic. And so then you end up chasing little droplets of oxytocin from lots of different strangers. Um, whereas what, what we need to do is we really need to encourage um, connectors to have very strong, stable relationships like a, 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 a dog and his owner. And the, the, the animal totem for a help for the connector is the puppy. Yep. And this is because, you know, like the strength of that primary bond what that does is it keeps a flood of oxytocin going through their body all of the time. And they're time. not chasing it in the wrong places. Exactly. And then they can go out and they can get their little top-ups and keep the community together, which is an incredible strength, is to yeah. keep people together and keep people connected. Not everyone can do that. Um, and they have that ability. What's really interesting, though, is if they have a bad social experience, um, oxytocin will get tagged with that negative emotion. Oh. And so the next time they look to connect with somebody, it might actually be harder because they remember the bad thing that happened before. And so uh, the more positive, the more transparent and the more um, uh, like best friend relationships that they can have where they can just be themselves and be completely open and completely trusted. And that allows them to constantly associate oxytocin with the great thing and great feelings, which then allows them to express themselves best as well. So Gosh, that's um, incredible. The, the, the impact of having very honest, 
and non-judgmental friends is going to be really, really important for a connector. Wow. Versus for a yep. sensor, sensors, uh, vasopressin dominant. Vasopressin is a, it's like a survival mechanism. It essentially helps you hold on to everything. This is the, the leanest, slightest body. Uh, they have the, the smallest amount of muscle tissue and fat tissue. And essentially their body is set up to, I need to protect myself because I don't have the capacity, the physical capacity Strength. to yeah. actually look after other people. I need an environment that's nice and quiet. I need a, um, uh, I need food that's nice and warm because I don't have a whole lot of insulation. I need, um, you know, an environment that is, acid, that is yeah. warm as well because I don't have much thermoregulation, all of that sort of stuff. I need just sensory dial down. And so when you've got a body like this, they, uh, when they get stressed, the vasopressin creates uh, fluid retention at the kidneys and like, it essentially lets you hold on to all of your good stuff. It creates uh, um, essentially a little bit of jealousy, like one thing at a time. They really like monogamy in everything, like one thing at a time because I can focus on one thing at a time because that's very certain. They like certainty because lack of certainty is risky for them because they don't have much reserve in the tank. You know, if they're out in the wilderness, I need to know exactly where my food is because I've only got a day or two of survival in my body. Whereas a guardian, four weeks, you know, it's yeah. a, it's the, so as a result, their brain will be hyper aware of the environment. They'll be less trusting because they need certainty and they'll want as much information as possible. They'll want to collect as much data as possible before they trust anything. And so connectors will just be looking for trust all of the time, everywhere with no information. Wow. Sensors will be looking for as much data, as much certainty, as much security as possible. And then they'll say, okay, this all makes logical sense. This is not a risk to me or my body. Okay, now I'm good to put some faith in, faith in this person. And so they'll be excellent data gatherers. They'll, be, uh, they'll really make sure that they understand people and they'll want conversations that ask the fifth and sixth why. Why? Oh, why do you do that? And why yeah. do you do this? We, we asked a few senses, why is that so important to you? And they said, it's because the deeper I get, I get to understand this person's intentions and as to whether they're trustworthy or not. Um, and so they, they are really investigating and collecting to do that and it's their brain that's, that's asking. And so very sceptical by nature, so very good at analysing data and um, yeah. being able to, to sift through lots of – so they're very neurally focused. So you see a lot of people in, uh, of this type going into, say, the sciences and, and mm-hmm. um, uh, so very neurally driven professions. Yes. That's right. And, and not quite as sceptical as crusaders. Uh, when you've got like a bit of adrenaline and testosterone and this stuff going on, that's when you get scepticism. Um, <laughs> when we're talking about um, sensors, they're actually quite open, but they will only do things that make sense. And if they've got something that works for them right now, they won't change it. And I've had clients that have got a result in the first few months and then I see them four years later and they're still doing the same thing, even though they have actually needed to change it. And, yep. and this on, is where they, but- they've created security out of this information. Certainty stuck. is good. I can trust this information. Therefore, I'll continue with it. Even if my body starts not feeling great, this came from a certain place. So I'm going to trust it. Like, and then they'll you know, look for other things. So they are quite open as long as the information is provided logically 
systematically and, and compartmentalize one thing at a time because that's how their brain really works. So they need to ask a lot of whys. And this uh, of this body type, you have a lot of people that are often quite often vegan or vegetarian, um, which is actually not the greatest for their body types. Is that right? No. Well, this, this body is generally they don't have the strongest digestion. They've got less hydrochloric acid production. They have... Um, they have uh, a greater need for minerals and a greater need for growth. Mm-hmm. And the protein is actually quite important for them in that yeah. sense, for yeah. both the minerals and the growth factors. Um, but often, because they're very sensitive to the environment, the nervous system makes them very sensitive, um, they, uh, they tend away from things that maybe have ethical issues or they don't feel so great about eating this meat like or, meat or something. something. Yeah where they get huge benefits out of doing that. And eating raw, raw vegan, for example, is, can be particularly bad, bad for, for this individual because <laughs> they just don't have the capacity to digest all of those yep. very tough fibres um, and they need a bit more help. And they, even it's the food is very cold and they need warmth in their body because the cold will actually reduce their stomach acid even further. So right. going for warm cooked vegetables would actually be a really, really great start. But then edging in some protein that can provide those minerals and that extra growth. Amino acids and stuff. Well, Dr. Cam, this has been an absolutely mind-blowing episode. I think uh, if you haven't come away going, wow, I need to know what I am, um, and, you know, if you do, then reach out to us because that's what we do. Um, Dr. Cam, thank you very much. And you're going to be a repeat offender again on the show uh, regularly throughout the year covering different uh, scientific topics around the genetic side of things and epigenetics. Um, so thank you very much for, for sacrificing your time today. Really, really appreciate it. And I, I learn a lot every time I get to talk to you. So it's been a, a real privilege again to have you on. It's so good to be here again, Lisa. I'm looking forward to, to the stuff coming in the future too. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.